If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh my God, how could he do that? Are you on What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are coming off of what I can pretty confidently say was my favorite weekend of football ever until the final moments, but really unbelievable stuff. A couple games that I feel like are among maybe the 10 best I've ever seen. Just ridiculous. Of course, it very unfortunately ended in utter tragedy for me personally, as the Buffalo Bills lost to the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think that that's a good starting point for us here, Logan. So we're going to do two NFL shows this week on Friday, live on Blaze Radio. We'll dive more in depth into what we're expecting from the upcoming conference championship matchups. Today, we'll mostly be reflecting on what we just saw. And really, I think it was the best game of quarterback play that we've ever seen. I think it was one of the best offensive games that I've ever seen in my lifetime. But what were your takeaways from that one? As I'm now becoming extremely sad again, realizing that we're going to have to actually talk about it. Yeah. Um, I think you started off at, at a good starting point. This is the uh, greatest game of quarterback play I've ever seen. Um, this is the first game and only game in NFL history where both quarterbacks have had over 300 yards passing over 50 yards rushing uh, three plus TDs and some, you know, like a hundred plus passer rating. I mean, it was quarterback perfection. Um, and the one thing that I don't want to undersell when starting to talk about this game is the play of Josh Allen. That was immaculate. Josh Allen deserved to win this game. Um, the fourth and 14 that he converted when the left tackle literally gets put on his ass the second the ball is snapped, scrambles and makes that play happen. Like, I only think he can make that play. Um, him or Mahomes, like 
this was an absolutely immaculate game from Josh Allen and Gabe Davis. Uh, I believe Gabe either broke or tied the record for receiving touchdowns in a single playoff game with four. Broke it, baby. First ever. Broke it. Wow. Gabe Davis, of all people. And I believe he had a big game last year um, against the Chiefs, didn't he? Gabe Davis is a baller. I don't know why you said it like that, like you were surprised. Big baller. Bills, in my opinion, have the deepest weapons in the league. If you're looking at their sixth guy being Isaiah McKenzie, it's pretty insane. And Gabe Davis is really, really good at football. Yeah, they're deep as hell. And uh, I just hope people come away from this game uh, recognizing something that we here at Nerd Sesh uh, have been preaching for a long time, and that is that Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are complete equals. Uh, we've been saying this for long, that they are 1A and 1B. Uh, I know, Carson, you've been back and yeah. forth on that. Uh, let me be clear. That's your take. My take is that they are 1 and 2, Patrick Mahomes being 1. But I'll go in more depth later. I, I think they're 1A and 1B, and I, I just... <laughs> Josh played a perfect game of football, and Carson is distraught, was distraught. Um, immediately after the game, like, I don't... There are very few football games that I have been more angrier at the outcome at the end of a game than this one. And I, let me let me recount. Patriots-Falcons Super Bowl, I cried at the end of that game because I couldn't, I couldn't stand the fact that Tom got himself another one. That might be number one by far is Super Bowl, um, what, Super Bowl 45 against the Packers? Steelers-Packers, I cried at the end of that game. That was heartbreaking. Number two is Patriots, no, number three is Patriots-Falcons. Number two is this Bills-Chiefs game. And I'll tell you why, like, the Chiefs are the new packs. The Chiefs are the big evil in the NFL. The Chiefs are the Death Star. The Chiefs are Thanos of the NFL now. And they're the new superpower. And it just... They're Alabama football, in my opinion. They're the new Pats. They're Duke basketball. They are the conquering evil in the NFL. And I just wanted to see them falter. I wanted to laugh in the face of all these Chiefs fans, Carsons, that have had... So much success over these past few years. You're damn right I'm jealous. I'm jealous as hell. You got the best quarterback ever in your back pocket. And you steamroll everybody. And it's inevitable that you're just... Even you said it, Carson. With 13... I don't think you said it in the moment. But even with 13 seconds left, you talked about all game how it felt inevitable. Inevitable that the Chiefs were going to claw back somehow, some way. And they freaking did. And it broke my heart watching the Bills lose this football game. One, because I just wanted the Chiefs to lose, and I wanted to see my boys' team get to the AFC Championship game and conquer the Dragon, but also in the dramatic fashion. The fact that Josh put them with a go-ahead TD. There's only been four go-ahead TDs in Bill's postseason history, and Josh had two of them in this game. Again, one of them with, what, 13 seconds left? Like, it was, it was just heartbreaking, man. I literally slammed the table down, and I punched two walls on my way out of here out of anger. Like, this was, even not as a Bills fan, just as a... Simple Chiefs hater. This is a heartbreaking game to watch. Yeah. I think that, listen, as agonizing as this was, and it's probably genuinely the worst loss I've experienced as a sports fan in my life, because of the combination of the stakes and the building of this rivalry and the desperation of the franchise and, of course, the incredible highs so late in the game where you just think it has to be over at this point. In spite of all those things, I feel like the biggest takeaway here has to be just the brilliance of Josh Allen, which 
nobody has had, nobody has tried to deny to a more unreasonable extent because of such aggressive bias that dates back to people's draft evaluations of him, man. Like, that is the only logical explanation for what we've seen in the dialogue surrounding Josh Allen over the last two years. I have found it laughable. I think he's clearly been a top three quarterback on the planet for two years, even as there was some regression with him as a passer this year, efficiency-wise, and a few more turnovers. I mean, you just look at what he can do athletically. You look at his best day. And in my opinion, even though I think Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback talent ever and will go down as the greatest quarterback ever, Josh Allen's best day is literally like nothing we have ever seen before because, yes, Pat is extremely mobile, but Josh will literally be your lead running back. He ran for five first downs. He's the guy they're turning to in third and fourth and short and is obviously a crazy dynamic scrambler and was perfect as a passer basically for the second consecutive game. I mean, his playoff stat line is 637 passing yards, 77.4% completion rate, nine total touchdowns, all passing, 134 rushing yards, 7.9 yards per attempt, and no turnovers. He accounted in this game for 397 of Buffalo's 422 yards and had 19 of 23 first downs. I just don't know what you can say. And then you couple with that the fact that he executes a mind-boggling fourth and four on a attempted go-ahead drive with just a couple minutes remaining where he is 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage and evades sacks and pump fakes and finds a way to just get the yardage that he needs. Then on a fourth and 13, I mean, frankly, that's more about Gabe Davis just absolutely breaking a man and ending his career, but he delivers the touchdown ball. And then you go down again and with one minute and two seconds on the clock, needing a touchdown, Logan, what's amazing is I mean, that Tyreek Hill touchdown was obviously devastating, but I didn't feel like the game was over. And I was honestly, I would say, surprisingly calm. Like, it sucked, but I was like, okay, Josh, it's time to go be great again. This is completely unfair. This is completely unreasonable to expect, but I do believe that you can do this. And he goes down, and in 49 seconds, six plays, marches him 75 yards downfield. You told him on the Gabe Davis 75-yard touchdown, Josh, go deep. And he literally just went deep and uh, delivered a touchdown, not only in a much-needed spot, but so quickly at a pivotal spot. He just played two perfect games, dude, like straight up. That combination of efficiency as a passer, mind-blowing moments as a passer where you see his arm talent and his ability to extend plays, excellence as a runner, both scrambling and designed, not turning the ball over, and clutch plays Never seen that, dude. And to me, and I tweeted this, he just played the two best quarterback games of anybody this year back-to-back in the playoffs. And that's why I just hate how results-oriented we are and how wins and losses-oriented we are because I don't think that's going to be acknowledged and you just know that if they got the ball in overtime, it would have. And I'm not saying that people aren't talking about how amazing Josh has been But this should literally be like already in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And when Gabe Swartz comes out after the game and tweets a video of Mahomes throwing touchdown, nobody does it like him, nobody, when will they learn? It's like, okay, he literally, I mean, Josh Allen just played two games better than anything Mahomes has done this year. It's just a simple fact in my opinion. So the guy is unbelievable. He's unequivocally a top three quarterback. I think he's a top two quarterback. I think that Rodgers is obviously fantastic, but Josh's athletic ability is, 
is unlimited. And so his best day certainly is just going to be on a different planet than even a guy who manages the game and is so accurate and composed as a Rodgers. And I, I just... Hopefully this is the game and the consecutive games that just ends this dialogue forever. Because before the year, people are talking about Josh Allen regression. At various points in the year, people are talking about it. Peyton T. Gallagher, a friend of the show, so much questioning of Josh Allen. And I'm like, dude, if you just watch, then you know that we will probably never see a guy like this again. And I genuinely think he's going to be a top 10 quarterback of all time when it's all said and done. And by the way, he was a surgeon in this game, dude. He did not force the issue once. He was taking all the underneath stuff. And then guess what? He was also able to generate some explosive plays when they needed it. But I was glad to see, I suppose, an acknowledgement of his greatness once it became completely and utterly undeniable because I don't think we've ever seen a two-game stretch like this in NFL history. And the dude is just truly from another planet. So there's my positive takeaway from the Bills' loss. Yeah, only other better two-game stretch that I can remember in NFL history. Genuinely, Big Ben going back-to-back 12 TDs in the regular season. If you're talking what playoff stakes, though, he literally threw six TDs in back-to-back games. That's literally never been done before. But if you're talking about QB excellence in the playoffs, no, uh, I think this is the greatest stretch ever. Josh literally had the best passer rating, minimum 50 pass attempts. Uh, in playoff history, only ahead of Joe Montana, who won a ring that se- uh, in that playoff run, and Bart Starr, who won a ring in that playoff run. Uh, so he's within good company there. Uh, and yeah, there, there's two things I want to touch on. One, I think when you look at Mahomes, and maybe this is stating the obvious to you football fans here, this is the evolution of the quarterback position. We are seeing the evolution of do-it-all dominant QBs. And what I mean by that, we've got three QB talents of this level, in my opinion, in the league today. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Justin Herbert. And I don't think Herbert is on Mahomes and Allen's level as like a peer yet, one for one, but I think when you were looking at raw talent and intangibles, I think this is where we are trending. Not that this is going to be the norm or anything, because I think these guys are freaks, but when you were looking for best QB in the league potential, this is what you have to look for um, in guys. Massive arm, great wheels, great instincts, and great decision-making. And yeah, Josh showcased it. There is one more thing I want to touch on, though, about the Bills in this game, and that's uh, this is all on the defense, right? Like over anything else, this is on the Bills' defense for not getting a stop. Um, And it's a little circumstantial because I know Harrison Butker missed that extra point, missed a field goal earlier in this game. There were a couple bad decisions made by Sean McDermott in a few situations here that I didn't like. Two third and twos where he handed the ball off to Devin Singletary and handed the ball off to Isaiah McKenzie. And like, I understand setting up the run and and trying to be deceiving and setting up play action. Third and two, or actually any third down in general, I am putting the ball in Josh Allen's hands. I am running him up the middle in a design run, which they did and got stuff one time, but it worked most of the game. Or I am just running five out or four out, and I am letting Josh dictate what happens during the play. And the Chiefs messed up in this too, in that single back formation where they had the tight end take the ball under center. Great play call, Andy Reid. Yeah, with the best QB on planet Earth, I'm going to give it to, what? what's his, the Pope? I, whoever the hell that guy is. Yeah. 80, 80, 81. Yeah, 81. Who cares? I'm not going to him. So the Chiefs made that mistake as well, but I just thought McDermott threw away two drives by giving it to Singletary or McKenzie when I'm never doing that. 
when the stakes are on the line, when when shit hits the fan, when it's third down, I am going to Josh Allen 100% of the time. And so I just thought, blame the defense. Also, uh, be thankful that Butcher blew a couple of kicks. But I thought that McDermott gave away, or Dable, whoever made those two play calls, gave away those two possessions by not giving it to Josh Allen. And that ultimately mattered. Yeah. Well, I would say that definitely goes on Dable. But overall, I mean, I think it's... Tough to really criticize the offensive production here. The Bills put up 83 points in two playoff games. And I'm going to just give a couple more Josh Allen stats, okay, to reiterate how undeniable and unquestionable his greatness is and how dumb it is that this has ever been a conversation. This season, in total over 19 games, he put up about 6,000 yards between passing and rushing and 51 touchdowns. His last two postseasons... He has 15 total touchdowns against one interception and is accounting for 347 yards of offense per game. So, listen, you're late to the party, okay? If this is when you're like, hey, I think Josh Allen might be a top three quarterback, you're very, very late to the party. I think, though, obviously that this, I mean, this falls on the defense. And the Bills were the number one scoring defense in football this year. I don't think they were ever the best defense in football. I mean, they just suffocated some really bad teams, but it was a really good defense, nevertheless. And I really think that it comes down to decision-making by Leslie Frazier in that final regular season drive. First of all, I mean, the obvious thing is that it was an abysmal decision not to squib the ball. And I understand that you are scared of Tyree Kill. How, how not? No, no, no. I, the Pats did it, and that's how it ended up sealing the game for them. That was a bad decision. I agree with you, but it was not the worst decision Leslie made on that drive. Okay, well, all I'm saying is you take them down from two plays to get 40 yards to one play to get 40 yards. I agree with that fundamentally, but making them go the length of the field to get 40 to get 50, I don't hate that decision. The decision I hated was when they chose to rush four and have Levi be draped 15 yards off of the best tight end in football. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't... I don't understand how in that situation you as a DC do not have the clairvoyance to recognize they need two plays. They have three timeouts. They are going to throw this ball the second they snap it. Yeah. And to not have a to not have somebody Ding up on the best tight end is football is one of the dumbest defensive football decisions I've ever seen, genuinely. To rush for in that situation was incomprehensible. And I think even the play before was very poorly handled because they had seven guys deep. And I just think you can look at that and say, yeah, we can give up a decent amount of yardage, but you can't really just let them take 20 yards, dumping it off to Tyreek and only kill five seconds or whatever, because now you've made it a manageable next play. And all they have to do is really get a first down and a little bit more. And they did that very easily on what was another terrible defensive play call. But I just think that was so poorly handled. And yes, I understand that you're thinking, oh, well, we need to go with the lowest downside option. But just letting up 20 yards is not good. And if you force an incompletion there on that first play, the game is effectively over. They're not getting 40 yards on one play. Then you can do your ridiculous prevent defense. And by the way, absolutely, as you said, should be rushing three. They said it on the broadcast. Like, pressure is a non-factor here. 
there is like nothing else they can do. Mahomes can't extend the play here as he would like to and run and gain the yardage. Like he's gonna throw the ball quickly, and so just have as many bodies out there covering as you possibly can. And uh, it's a mind-boggling mismanagement. And then you have in overtime the complete miscommunication where Tremaine Edmonds, of course, Tremaine Edmonds, the most overrated player in Bills history. You guys have made that dude a Pro Bowler, I think twice. He's not good. Well, was was Matt Milano a Pro Bowler as well? No. Dude. Trey's not even the best linebacker on his team, bro. No, not even close. But he's 6'6 and athletic, and he was 19 when he came into the NFL. And I think he actually might still be 19. We can have our guy in the back check on that. That was just really disheartening. So, at the end of the day... I know that there's been a lot of conversation around the overtime rules and how unfair that is. And I will come here to you as an injured Bills fan. God, Logan, I am so amazing at remaining unbiased, aren't I? I don't think that this is an unreasonable rule. I saw this number that with the current overtime rules, the team that wins the coin flip is winning 56% of the time. Like, dude, there is no perfect system, okay? But... You are playing an extremely violent sport. I think that you need to, as is reasonable, minimize the extra amount of time that those guys are on the field for safety purposes. And if you can come up with a system that is only leading to a slight advantage for the team that wins the coin toss, then good. I mean, the team has to score a touchdown the first possession out to immediately end the game. That's not, in theory, a high probability option. It is in the Kansas City Chiefs against the Buffalo Bills, but broadly speaking, like I just don't think it's a bad rule. I understand that you want to let Josh Allen get the ball again, but most of the time that quarterback will get the ball again. I don't. I don't think the overtime rules need to be changed whatsoever. Um, people get mad. At getting a stop is part of the game, and I completely agree with you. That should be number one. My dad had this asinine take after the game. He goes, "Why not?" Uh? <laughs> I love you, Dad, but damn, man, I did not agree with this. Why don't, they, why don't they just play a whole nother quarter? Well, you know, you'll really see who wants to be out there. Do you know how many dudes would probably get injured? Like, like the Bills' defense was already gassed, and that was noticeable. I completely agree with you. Number one after those four quarters should be getting them off the field as quickly as possible. Like, football is a brutal sport, and you're just running all kinds of risks by even taking that. And so, I, I think... I just think getting a stop is is as big as going out and scoring, and I think the NFL overtime rules are perfect. I know that's not a popular opinion. Like you said, I wouldn't change a damn thing. Stop, Pat. I don't think they're perfect, but I don't think there's a perfect solution, and I think that they are better. Like, you're still playing real football, dude. Do we really want to give teams the ball on the 25-yard line? Mm -hmm. That's more normal? And then, oh, if they score twice, yeah, we'll just have two-point conversions decided? Like, bro, what? Maybe for pure entertainment value, there's an argument there, but that sucks, dude. The Chiefs had to march 75 yards down the field and score to end the game, and they did it. Good for them. I have an idea. Okay. Instead of the current overtime rules, you take your biggest guy on the Bills, you take your biggest guy on the Chiefs, And they have a death match. A fight to the death on the 50-yard line with barbed wire bats, steel chairs, kendo sticks, full-on WWE style, but like New Japan style, to the death. 
What do you think? I love it. I'm all in on it. I will say we have to obviously give a tremendous amount of credit to Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm-mm. No, we don't. Look, Tony Romo exaggerated oh. every damn thing Pat did in this game. So you know what? I'll give Pat his credit. I've been giving Pat his credit since he stepped foot in this league because he's the GOAT, and we all know that. But you know what I'm not going to give him credit for? I'm not going to give him credit for throwing a four-yard drag over the middle that my grandma could have thrown. I'm not going to give him credit for throwing a 10-yard out on a screen where Tyreek does the work. And that was my biggest gripe about this game. And look, again, Pat deserves all the credit in the world. But when he throws a 12-yard pass over the middle that any QB in the NFL could throw, and then Tyreek Hill proceeds to run 60 yards to the end zone, and then Tony Romo is sitting over there going... Oh, oh my God, Pat Mahomes, what a throw, what a play. <laughs> Tony, Tyreek Hill made that play happen because yeah. he breaks the game of football. Like, I'm just tired of people giving, it's like you said, results based, fake attribution. Yeah. Watch the game, bruh. Yeah, it's so easy, honestly, to just be objective and reasonable. I would say, as an observer of sports, right? Was there anything more predictable? Then the overreactionary Mahomes slander looking ridiculous early in this year. Of course not. But I also agree with you. Uh, Tony Romo was pretty insufferable throughout this game as somebody with a rooting interest in the Bills. And like genuinely, like you said, is giving Mahomes more credit for a play that is made by Tyreek Hill's greatest on-field speed that we've ever seen. Mahomes gets more credit than that from Tony Romo than Josh Allen, like, I don't know, executing multiple fourth downs on the final drive. And it genuinely seemed like he was rooting for the Chiefs. He was like, oh, Jim, I'm so nervous ahead of the last field goal. And it was like, okay, man, that's a little bit weird. You really like Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. But at the end of the day, although people find a way to be insufferable, no matter what it seems, I would rather have Patrick Mahomes' exuberance than Patrick Mahomes slander because I do think generally any bar you set for that guy he's pretty much going to reach as an individual football player especially when he has the greatest set of weapons ever and that's another thing I'm gonna go back to Gabe Swartz's tweet okay about how nobody does it better just the timing of it I mean what Josh is doing as good as the Bills weapons are he was under more pressure in this game Mahomes was under pressure early, but, you know, the Bills decided that they didn't want to finish a single play in the backfield, so it was a little bit like fake pressure. And he doesn't have the luxury of playing football with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. And he, again, is literally his team's running back. The Chiefs were extremely successful running the ball on low volume, but, like, I mean, Clydro had two explosive runs out of his, what, five carries? So I just think it was an easier game for Mahomes to play. But the reason I say we need to give him credit it's because in the playoffs right now, he has 782 passing yards, eight touchdowns to one pick, 70%, 76% completion, and of course, had a few unbelievable runs early in this game. He's the best football player on the planet. And is a D forward offsides penalty from, what, being in the Super Bowl every year? Well, they're not there yet, but... Base, almost. This is their fourth straight AFC championship game, and... It will, in all likelihood, in my opinion, be their third Super Bowl in four years. This is this is a bit of a tangent, um, and I'm not making excuses. Uh, Bills did not have Trey White in this game. That certainly was a factor. Um, that Jackson dude sucks, bro. He should not have been on the field. Yeah, Dane and Levi both had some rough moments, some penalties, yeah. some poor tackling by Dane. 
And on top of that, I do want to address the D-line situation like you were talking about, dude. Again, I have not been the most thorough watcher of Bill's defense this season. Carson, why are... Tell me if I'm wrong. You guys have like the slowest D-lineman I have ever seen. Maybe I have been spoiled by TJ Watt, Cam Hayward, and the greatest pass rush in the NFL over the past five seasons. Dude, it's like you guys are running in quicksand or concrete, man. Like, like, dude, Mario, Ed, Greg Rousseau, all of them, just like they're running in slow motion trying to tackle this guy. And then some of them just decide, I'm going to pump the brakes and try to bat this pass down. I, I don't know, man. I think that it sucks that you guys invested so much into the D-line this last season. You got to go back to the well. And you know what? Screw finding a good D-end. Get the most athletic, freakish outside linebacker or like just fastest. Screw it, man. Maybe put Trey on the edge or something, dude. Like you guys need athletes on the line in rushing the passer because I know the Chiefs O-line is good and they did a great job of protecting Mahomes. Even when they did get pressure, it didn't matter because they weren't fast enough or strong enough to finish plays. And I still think that is the fundamental difference maker that changes this game, that changes the outcome of this game. If the Bills get back there and get a few more sacks, they stop the Chiefs from scoring on a few possessions, and I think they win this game. I still think that's y'all's biggest need and is the Achilles heel of this team. I will say, I think it's a deep defensive line. I think that Greg Rousseau was... Very impressive this year overall. I think that Ed Oliver got a lot better and was pretty darn good. And I think that there are multiple guys who can fill in and play the position at a solid level. And I think that the Bills actually, according to Pro Football Reference, led the league in pressure rate this year. But it's a very collective effort, and I completely agree with you in that there is not that dynamic game-breaking guy and they didn't finish sacks in this game. And it's like pressure only means so much against Patrick Mahomes. What it probably means if you're not going to get a sack out of it is that all you've done is move him outside the pocket and make that play go a little bit longer. And now he's going to do something crazy. Like when did pressure actually force Mahomes to make a play he didn't want to in this game? You know, when was it like, oh my God, they're bearing down on him in the pocket mm-hmm. and he can't get out and he has to throw the ball away. That never happened. All that happened was that he got out in space and he made dudes miss, and he either made a throw on the run or he scrambled effectively. That's what happened every time it felt like the Bills got into the backfield, especially in the first half. And then after that, it felt like they just weren't generating as much pressure, period. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And then you saw what the Steelers did to him last week. And I don't mean for the entire game because the Steelers' defense got dog-tired and were completely ineffective as the game drug on. But in that first quarter, they flustered him, and they got there, and they hit him. And I just, I just think that, again, it's easier said than done, and these guys are very rare across the league. If you had a T.J. Watt, a Miles Garrett, a, a Nick Bosa type, and again, I know, like, they're generational-type pass rushers. These guys are super rare. That's the difference. I feel like that is all you guys need, and you have... And another linebacker. Again, I don't like Trey Edmonds out there. He's just kind of clueless like his brother Terrell. I feel like that's the difference, man. That's all you guys need. I think that the Bills honestly probably have 
right up there for the most complete football team as is. I mean, I don't think there's a weakness here with the way yes. that they were running the ball by the end of the year. We're talking about as potentially the weak spot on the team, a pass rush that, again, I believe led the league in pressure rate, and they have a top three quarterback, and they have great weapons, and they have the best secondary in football when fully healthy, and they're well-coached, and they have a great OC. The Buffalo Bills should be a Super Bowl-caliber team every single year in this window, and that is why it is so extremely painful when you go back-to-back years and it feels like you have a legitimate shot and you just fall short to the same buzzsaw. I will say one more thing since I'm calling out tweets that I didn't like because I just don't care. Another friend of the show, all right, Jack Loader, tweeted that he thought that this was the worst defense he had ever seen in a football game, which just really made me so angry. Was there some terrible late-game execution by the Buffalo Bills? Of course. But if you are watching a game between two of the most special quarterbacks we've ever seen who have very good to all-time weapons and they are playing a perfect game, and on the field is the number one scoring defense in football and the number eight scoring defense in football, which I believe for like the last 12 weeks was the number one scoring defense in football after an abysmal start. Do you think it's more about the offense or the defense when they put up 78 combined points? I tend to believe it's more about the play of the offense. You know, when guys are extending plays and making throws that nobody else on the planet can and receivers are making plays that nobody else on the planet can. That's just me, though, a silly little optimist. I just didn't like that take. I'm looking right at you, Jack. You're a good man, but that take sucked. Jack, did you watch Week 11 Rams-Chiefs when 105 points were scored with nearly 1,000 total yards? I did love that game, though. Kind of an iconic game. I'd say that's the worst defense I've ever seen played. But, you know, to each their own. I completely agree, dude. When you got... Bad L take. Sorry, bro. These are good defenses out on the field that are being made to look like fools. Great defenses. Sure. Two best left in the playoffs. Maybe next to... Actually, I don't even know. Maybe next to anybody. LA, maybe? If you're feeling froggy? When the Rams are on, they're pretty darn good. I think that if you look at the Buffalo Bills, where their roster stands... There's not really many glaring weaknesses at this point. I think that pretty much every position group is above league average. Maybe you look at running back, but again, Devin Singletary really came on towards the end of the year, and they just don't need a ton of traditional rushing production because of what they're going to get from Josh to supplement that and because of how insane the passing game is. Defensively, all three levels, pretty good. Offensive line play, Overall, I mean, there were a couple spots this year where they had issues, but it it's a pretty good group. Like, And then you have these superstar all-time quarterback talent. So this should be a Super Bowl team again next year. The question is just, can you get past the Kansas City Chiefs and the greatest collection of offensive talent that we have ever seen? And I don't know. There is still that feeling of inevitability. And you know that when it comes to a third or fourth and short, that the Chiefs are just going to have a better play design than anybody else. I mean, it's going to be somehow, hey, we're going to get our insane quarterback moving and we're going to get a short pass to a guy in space and we're going to make you look silly because everybody else is thinking, let's run the ball up the middle and we're that good that we can do something that is, I guess, theoretically riskier and just make it look easy and convert 90% of the time. And you know that Mahomes is going to do what his football team needs every single time. You know Tyreek Hill is going to make that unbelievable play. 
and so it's just going to become a matter, I guess, of the Bills scoring 40 points in one of these games because they scored 36 here, and Josh Allen played one of the best games I've ever seen, and they still lost this football game. It's either that or you force a couple turnovers, and I do believe there is a day that the Bills will beat the Kansas City Chiefs, but this is just devastating, dude. To feel like you are an equal of a team two years in a row, or close to it at least, and to feel like you are one of the most complete teams in football with one of the best quarterbacks on the planet. And to not reach a Super Bowl is very painful. Yes, that's an extremely high standard, but it's a completely reasonable one for this Bills team. And windows are short in football. You don't know how long your roster composition can remain the exact same or highly similar. Josh Allen will make them a good football team for the next decade as long as he's healthy. And he is indestructible, in my opinion, knock on wood. But we'll see next year. That's all I have to say. Yeah, the uh, the Bills led the NFL in point differential this season. It is heartbreaking. Uh, as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I mean, Gabe, a uh, friend of the show, Gabe Swartz, that I did not have a rooting interest in this game. Ever since I met this, ever since I met this dude, I have been rooting for the Bills, man. Because my guy. Well, one, I love this. I love this fucking dude. But I also, I feel for Bills fans, bruh. Nobody has been tortured more arduously than these guys. It broke my fucking heart for you last night, man. Yeah. I, like, that's... That was painful. Very painful. I do think the Bills are one of the most complete te- teams in football. I think there are a few needs. I'm going to list them off. I want to hear your gauge on this. I said, I do think they need one more running back. I think Singletary is a very good utility back. Um, speed runs, outside runs, zone runs, shotgun plays, uh, short passes. I think they need a power back. And I know it's hard to power run with this line, but it's just something that I think that you need to have. Josh is kind of a de facto power back, so it's probably not the biggest need. But I think it would just bring another dynamic to an already really dynamic offense. Uh, Offensive line is relatively fine. I didn't like that right tackle. He got moshed on towards the end of this game. Um, 79? Spencer Brown, yeah. Yeah, Spencer Brown kind of got beat up a little bit, but the line is pretty good. So I would say you need that dynamic edge rusher, outside linebacker, DN type. It's just super athletic that can impose his will on the game. Another coverage linebacker, and then some depth at corner. But again, man, you're picking straws. Like the Bills are gonna be, the Bills are gonna be here every year, man. This is, this is new Peyton Peyton Brady. Yeah, beautiful. I, it sucks for guys like me who. We're probably going to have Mason Rudolph starting at QB next season. But, hey, you know, it's going to be great football to watch for a very long time. I just, I know it's going to happen at some point. I just want the Bills to get over this hump, bro. It'll happen. What's unfortunate is how good quarterback play is going to be in the AFC for the foreseeable future. And, obviously, Football teams with great rosters win, but it's a little bit scary when you also have to look at Justin Herbert and what Joe Burrow is becoming and Lamar Jackson, obviously, when he's playing his best football. So it's just like when you're able to get the Chiefs two years in a row, this effectively felt like the AFC Championship game to me. I understand that we're going to see the Bengals play football this week against the Chiefs, and that's great, but like we said this before they even played that it feels like whoever the winner of that game was would probably beat the Bengals by double digits. I mean, there's just an absurd gap between the caliber of these two teams. Logan, you said by 30. I don't know about that extreme. And, hey, it is worth mentioning I did say that. You said 30. I did say that. 
The Bengals did beat the Chiefs in week 18, so it is not out of the realm of possibility. And oh my God, dude, wouldn't that just be the most stone cold shit ever? To have Joe Burrow be the man with the big balls who knocks off Pat Mahomes? That would be, be so tough. Like, dude, Joe would just. Joe Shiesty would become the greatest quarterback in NFL history if that happened. I, I don't. I will Joe do, Shiesty. <laughs> I, will, I will go live on Twitter and do an Irish jig if if Joe Shiesty can pull out the dub against the Chiefs. But I do think. I think there are levels to this. I think there is just a difference in caliber of football team. And yeah, if I had to make a prediction right now, we'll do a full live show on Blaze Radio on Friday with our predictions. Chiefs win by three TDs. That might be my official prediction. You're confusing me. You said 30, then double digits was too much, and now three touchdowns is going to be your prediction? That's an insane prediction. I wouldn't pick the Bills to beat the Jags by three touchdowns in the regular season. Actually, three TDs is how much they beat the Steelers by. I'll go two. I think I think a two TD win is reasonable for Kansas City, but I just think I just think the Chiefs are levels and I mean the pass rush that the Titans got on the Bengals was unreal, and I think they can. I think the Chiefs D line can impose that same kind of force on Burrow. They are a force like we have never seen in the sport, and it's not that this single game is what affirms that. It's that we're looking at three straight years now four straight years of football excellence. I mean, they put up 35 points per game in 2018, but they weren't as complete of a defense yet. So maybe this is premature. Where do they rank among dynasties? Like, and again, we can probably revisit this topic if they win the Super Bowl again this year. Yeah. Like, dynasty-wise, like, they have to be two or three. Like, number one, would it be the Pats or the Steelers of the 70s for you? I don't think you can say that they're two or three yet. Do I think they will be there? Yes. But they have currently won one Super Bowl and been to two. First of all, I love you like a brother, but that was a ridiculous question. The New England Patriots are unequivocally number one. How long are we considering a dynasty, though? Because I think As long as Tom Brady was there. Can you, though? Because I think it's too distinct. Tom was kind of an L on the back end of like the 2010s. No, like, the back end of the 2000s. Yeah, excuse me. Yeah, the back end of the 2000s didn't accomplish a whole lot, had a lot of playoff heartbreak. I mean, he did have that one year that was washed and Matt Castle took over. I, in my opinion, I would separate the Pats dynasties into two, and I would cut it at the Super Bowl loss to the Giants, and I would start the new dynasty with the second Super Bowl loss to the Giants and then on, and I would consider them separate dynasties. If you consider it all together, I guess the Pats are one. Here's the only reason I would argue that you can, because obviously it's completely different football teams. The only continuity is Mm -hmm. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. I understand that you're saying that Tom was, quote, an L, but they are winning double-digit games and in the playoffs every single year. So that, to me, is the continuation of football excellence, and that qualifies as a continuous dynasty because it never really dropped off even if there was a Super Bowl gap. Okay, so... We go one Pats, two seventy Steelers. I'm just trying to. Th- I'm just trying to contextualize who else could even be in the running. Uh, the triplets, the I think, have to be mm-hmm. next. Three and four years is nuts. I'm trying to think, like the '90s Packers got to no. After that, 
I'm trying to think about the candidates as well. The Rams uh, well, from the 2000s. Obviously the Niners, right? Yeah. Montana's With Niners. Montana. That still has to be in a different class at this point. Outside of that. Lombardi's Packers, maybe. That's what I was thinking. Or the Staubach Cowboys, maybe. What I think, though, is obvious. And what we have seen is. As long as you have Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Kill, and Travis Kelsey, and the current coaching and organizational infrastructure, how are they ever going to get out of it, dude? They were the worst defense in football through five games, or however many it was. They had the most turnovers in football. Seven games, I guess, right? Because they were three and four at one point. And it seemed like for once, maybe they had passed the threshold of too many things are going wrong. And then it was like that they snap into gear, and all of a sudden... They're a top five defense, and Patrick Mahomes is the best player on the planet again, and they have the best weapons we've ever seen. And if you can overcome that within an individual season, and if you can do this for four straight years without a letdown in the NFL, there is nothing that they cannot accomplish as a football team. And everybody can say, oh, these are the reasons it's going to fall off. Mahomes is too mistake prone. That contract is too big. I just think you're going to look foolish. I understand it's a huge thing to put on any individual football player to say he's going to win four or five Super Bowls, no matter how brilliant somebody is individually. There has never been anybody who needs less to go right around him than Patrick Mahomes. He's just the most special talent we've ever seen, especially when paired with a healthy Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. That is an offensive trio that nothing in the history of the sport can even, like equals 75% of, dude. Mm-hmm. It's from mm-hmm. a completely different atmosphere. And that is what we have seen over the last four years. And that is what we will continue to see. As long as they are together. They will be in contention it, every single year, bro. The the quote from Andy Reid at the end of the game, you know, when shit gets grim, be the grim reaper. They've become the grim reapers of the NFL. The, the final death toll the final nail in the coffin of your team's season. Like, I, I, I'm i still just a little bit in disbelief, man. Yeah. 13 seconds. 13 fucking seconds. Should have been eight or nine. Squib the ball. I... They break football. Yep. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. This has been obvious, okay? Anti-Chiefs takes have never been good. And by the way, not to brag, but I was very hesitant to criticize the Chiefs early in the year, and especially Patrick Mahomes, and I was pretty early back on the train of, I think this is the best team in the AFC and possibly in football. And you know what? It's not because I'm a genius. It's just because you bet on Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I staved it off because I didn't want to uh, concede that the Chiefs were the best team in football. Um, I'm not going to – I criticized Pat, but they were all valid reasons. He was sure, he played a, a bad six weeks of football. Well, yeah, he was being aggressive with it. He tried to go over the top, but he fixed everything. He started throwing stuff underneath. He fundamentally changed how he played, and it was for the better. Um, but, yeah, that was a pretty – what? Well, I was just going to say, if I could reiterate – The Chiefs that everybody was railing against, and a lot of it focused on the offense, put up 33, 35, 24, 42, 20, and 31 over their first six, and then had 
the first legitimately bad offensive game, in my opinion, of Patrick Mahomes' tenure against the Tennessee Titans where they put up three points. But everybody was already all over them before that point. And, yeah, I mean, they did have... So I do understand the chip on the shoulder. I do understand Chiefs fans getting upset because it's like, why would anybody ever count this guy out? And the reason is because people want to because they're tired of them winning a lot and people are overly reactionary. All right. I think the Chiefs are the overwhelming Super Bowl favorite from this point forward, and I think that Patrick Mahomes is going to cement himself as yet again. Already he's going to have like a top 10 quarterback resume, and he's been starting for four years. That's a pretty good trajectory to be on. That was 45 minutes on this game, though. So let's move on to one of the other craziest football games I've seen in my entire life, which was Bucks rams Obviously, the Rams were up 27-3 to in this game. Then it was 27 apiece. And then they won on a walk-off field goal in absolute insanity. What are you taking away from this one? Yeah, um, you know, you talk about inevitability um, of a game. It, it, it always felt like the Bucks were going to make a comeback. Now, did it? I, to me, mother, you don't ever count Tom Brady out. And, like, situationally, good God. I thought some money was on this game, the way that the Rams were coughing the football up. Four fumbles. And look, dude, again... You know, people get all hyperbolic with this Lote stuff about Tom Brady, the luckiest of all time. The Bucks should have won this game after all those turnovers. Like, Brady did not have a good game. This was a very poor Tom Brady game by his standards. He looked flustered. He looked under duress. Like, down to... Watch these last drives. Like, Tom was not making good decisions. And, like, yeah, like... He did the bare minimum to get them back in this game, but with four turnovers, I thought the Bucks should have won. Um, Can I just clarify one thing? Yeah. Because in the back of my mind, sure, I go into every football game thinking, how can the craziest thing possible happen? So I'm always rooting for a comeback. But the Bucks sequences, I mean, at 27-13, they fumble, they turn it over on downs, and they turn it over on downs again. And now you're into less than five minutes remaining in the fourth quarter. And you still thought that they were going to win that football game? Rams have the ball? I thought they were going to make or, it close. Sorry, not win the football game. But I just felt like at that point, any reasonable person was like, okay, this game is now actually over. And when, like Theo Ash tweeted, when you have the cosmic deity that is Tom Brady, the greatest lucky charm to ever exist, the man that God blessed with his own fingers... No, I'm never going to count him out. Yes, I always just felt like, oh, man, we're going to get a classic Tom comeback. After watching, I will say, at 27-13, at I lost a little bit of juice because I was like, man, dude, Tom just looks off, and he has that big shot to Mike Evans, and I'm like, here we go again. Um, not a good Tom Brady game by any metric, even down to that last play where, I don't know, man, younger Tom Brady doesn't make that mistake. Um, and it wasn't a horrible mistake. I still feel like Cameron Brake could have came up with that football, but I feel like a little younger, a little, a little, you know, quicker. Tom Brady recognizes if he waits a second that Scotty Miller is going to pop open, and Scotty Miller was wide open. Um, is that a young Tom Brady thing, or did he make a bad football play? Like, is Tom Brady not as smart as he's always been? I think I, he is. I think he this, made a bad play. I thought he had a bad game, and this was a game full of bad decisions. I don't know if I should say young Tom Brady, but a. What I mean is, like, 
they looked surgical last week against the Eagles. What I mean by that is when I say young Tom Brady, I think of 2015 Tom Brady kicking it to Chris Hogan and carving the Steelers for 400 yards. So, in other words, 38-year-old Tom Brady. <laughs> so, football perfection Tom That is younger Tom Brady, isn't it? Six Not years? young Tom Six Brady. Six years younger Tom Brady. My point is more Screw about shut how— Shut up. My point so is more should, about how ridiculous he is, okay? Shut up, bro. Okay, Tom Brady. Tom Brady should have made that play. I— I don't know, man. The— and then we get to the last play. Like, Tom Brady should have – we should have got OT in this game. Who would you say brought up the, the last play, the miscommunication? Because that was a horrid – how you do not Levante know... David said yeah. that some players on the defense knew what the play call was and some others did not. To me, how you were not going man up three deep or just full-on prevent in that situation, I don't know. I'm at a loss. Like – that's one of the worst football plays I've ever seen, bro. Yeah, there were, there was one high safety, and Antoine Winfield got his goose cooked. He got his goose cooked. Yeah, that was insane. And obviously, this was a weekend of football insanity. I tweeted as a joke that Tom Brady couldn't be the GOAT because of this game. Logan, only you liked it. So I think some other people might have thought I was serious, which is really sad because that tells <laughs> you that people actually say stuff like that in the world. No, I am not going to say somebody cannot be the greatest football player of all time because at 44 years old, they play one subpar game. So I would just like to make that abundantly clear to everybody. The Bucks were thoroughly outplayed in this game. After going down 27-3, the Rams fumbled three times. They had two three and outs, and they had a missed 47-yard field goal short, which, by the way, in the moment, I thought the game was over. We didn't realize until the commercial break because <laughs> I saw somebody tweet about it, and we had to rewind because Bro missed a 47-yarder in good weather short. Mind-boggling and genuinely, I believe, evidence of the involvement of the dark spirits in this game, and I really do think that there is something not right about Tom Brady, okay? He has not aged. He's 44. He has consistently been the most fortunate football player of all time, with the exception Tell of me. a couple of Giants games. He eats avocado toast, Carson. Good point. It's avocado toast. But really, like, the Bucks didn't even execute well. They scored a touchdown off of a turnover to get their first points on the board. And then, obviously, Brady was clutch at the end, like on those final two, the massive play to Mike Evans, and then, again, they got another short field, only had to go 30 yards, but he executed from that point. Really, though, I think that what this game showed us again is what the Rams can and always have been able to be. Like, when their pass rush is causing problems and when Matt Stafford is slinging to crazy weapons that they have, this team is unbelievable, and they weren't even able to run the ball well in this game. They went 30 attempts for 73 yards, which I think is the final ingredient to them being the best version of themselves and I think is important in alleviating some pressure from Stafford and keeping defenses honest. But, like, Cooper Cup is obviously from another planet right now. Odell has hit his stride. We've seen Tyler Higby be pretty consistently productive in recent weeks. And if Matt Stafford doesn't turn the ball over, which he did once in this game because of the fumble, but if he doesn't throw an interception you have a really, really good chance of winning. And obviously, they dominated this game at the line of scrimmage defensively, which they have always been capable of. So I just think you have to give massive props to the Rams for the fact that they played so well early and built 
such a truly insurmountable advantage that they were able to win this game in spite of four fumbles and complete ineptitude in the second half. And I think that as we look ahead, and again, we'll dive deeper into this later, they should be, to me, a significant favorite against the Niners. I understand the track record. I just think the ceiling is so much higher. The question is the consistency. I picked the Rams to win the Super Bowl before the year, and I did not pick that before the playoffs because I just got scared off by a few bad Matt Stafford performances. Even though I think I've been overall higher on Stafford than the consensus, you cannot ignore the potential for that game-breaking bad play. At the same time, you have to acknowledge the possibility that he goes out there and throws 400 yards and plays a nearly perfect football game with the weapons they have. And when their defense is clicking, that makes the Rams the best team in the NFC, and it puts them in the conversation for the best team in football. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. And <laughs> I just can't believe we're at this point in the season, man. The only hope to keep us from another Chiefs reign of terror is Matthew freaking Stafford. And that's in my opinion, at least. Or theoretically, Jimmy Garoppolo. I said theoretically, Logan. I said theoretically. Yeah. Look, again, like you said, we're going to get into this in more depth um, when it comes preview time on Friday. I can see the Niners winning this game very easily. Like, again, man, I've, I've harped on this the entire back half of this season. Niners have a great playoff formula, and they can beat any team. I wasn't going to pick the Packers, I mean, to lose, but it did happen. Really weird circumstances. We're going to get into that in a second, too. But I don't want Jimmy G to get to the Super Bowl. I agree with you completely about the Rams, though, man. I mean, at their peak of their powers, they are a scary football team. And honestly, man, this is a team with a pass rush. I wouldn't predict this because the Chiefs offensive line has gotten a lot better. The Rams have a back end, in my opinion, just as good as the Buffalo Bills that we saw from last night with a healthy Trey White. I think the Bills are on a different level with Micah Hyde, with Jordan Poyer. What the Bills did on the, uh, to like the wideouts for the Chiefs, they shut them down on the back end to start this game. The pass rush just couldn't get home. The Rams, that is not the case. The Rams can swarm, can suffocate, can get to Pat Mahomes... And I still fundamentally believe like that is the key to winning football on the defensive side is getting pressure with four. I think the Rams I think the Rams can get back there like the Bucks did in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs and wreak havoc. Not to that level, because I don't think you're ever gonna see Pat Mahomes get flustered like that again. And I think the Chiefs uh, O line has gotten better. I can see the Rams in, in a Super Bowl against the Chiefs getting four to five sacks and keeping Mahomes suffocated in the pocket. And again, their back end is good enough to where I think they can keep those wideouts and receivers in check. And again, I just think, I don't know, man, if we don't get a Rams-Chiefs Super Bowl, I'm low-key going to be kind of disappointed. Like, they're so clearly the two best teams left in the field, the best offenses and the best defenses left in the field. And I don't think it's close, like with any team. I agree completely. To me, that has to be the Super Bowl, and I would be very pleased with that, dude. I mean, again, I have been a Rams guy for most of this year. There's been some inconsistency, but when they are rolling, dude, it's pretty insane. I still think, though, yes, they absolutely could beat a team like the Chiefs. Is it the most likely outcome? I just think there's a different trust factor with Patrick Mahomes and that offense compared to, obviously, just some of the highs and lows that we've seen from Stafford in a very inconsistent and too often unproductive Rams rushing attack. 
but they're scary. If we're doing a bit of a season autopsy on the Bucks, I really think that it, this is kind of a write-off, right? Like, I just think a fully healthy Bucks team on the offensive line with their full weapons, and I guess we can't say they're full weapons anymore because it's not like they're getting Antonio Brown back, but Chris Godwin had been comfortably their most productive receiver this year and super important safety valve kind of guy. I just feel like this game could look completely different, and I still think they have every component of a contender. They have, obviously, insane defensive talent on the front seven, the ability to stop the run and get after the passer at a really high level offensively. Yeah, they're a bit one-dimensional, but if you're going to throw for 5,300 yards and 40-something touchdowns, you can get away with that. They have insane weapons and a borderline top-five quarterback who is Tom Brady, and a lot of you guys might even be offended that I say borderline top-five. Obviously, what's painful about this is that your quarterback is 44 years old and is apparently questioning what he wants to do with the rest of his life. I think he's going to be back, though, and I think that when he is back, as long as there's no discernible drop-off, which I don't know how that can happen at this point. Like, Tom Brady physically is thoroughly unimpressive. He's just out there with a mind and a functioning arm and great weapons and good coaching and all these other things around him. Bucks will be a contender again, and they may be the NFC favorite ahead of this coming season. Yeah, I, I, I think it is a write-off for the Bucs. Um, yeah, I mean, you talk about the weapons they could have. If if you have Godwin, A.B., and a healthy O-line in this game, I think they win. Um, just you're throwing to Cameron Braid out there. Your guys are getting beat right off of the snap. You're relying on Scotty Miller to make big plays. Um, next season's interesting, but yeah, I— I don't know if I can concretely say that they'd be my favorite. I don't think I can either, but I'm saying they will very much be in the discussion. Yeah, I mean, top three, top four, no-brainer for sure. Again, this is really dictated by what happens with Tom Brady, but hey, you know, if you guys, if he if he retires, you guys have Kyle Trask, I'm sure you'll be fine. You got Kyle Trask. Come um, on. A little bit of slander there on Tom Brady. He's the most athletic this young man has ever been. He, like, fine wine, just gets better with age. Yeah, I think Brady's going to be back. That man has a football addiction, the way Tyrone from the Chappelle Show is addicted to crack. Wow, what um, a comparison. <laughs> if, if you get that analogy. Um, yeah, no, Tom Brady's a football addict. I cannot imagine, after coming off of a season like this where he just calls it quits, me, I'd quit at the peak of my powers. <laughs> you know, you're only as good as your last game, and your last game you throw for 350 yards. So when would you have called it quits? Oh, you're saying this is the peak of Tom Brady's powers? This? You just said he played a bad game. He played a mid-Tom Brady. He's still an elite. Like, by regular, by Tom Brady standards, it was an average game. For any other QB, it's like, hey, man, nice job. Um, Look, as far as last game goes, to yeah. lead a heroic comeback from 27-3 down, and then you can look at the end and say, hey, it wasn't my fault. Our defense couldn't stop him from going a majority of the distance of the field with less than a minute on the clock. You could hang your hat on that. It would certainly be a lot better than how he was going to go out in New England, but... I fundamentally believe, though, Yeah, I don't think Tom Brady quits. I think Tom Brady needs another Super Bowl, or he has to have a catastrophic career-ending injury for him to leave. I think those are the only two options for Brady. You're probably right. I mean, look, as long as his body feels fine and he loves football which I think we can pretty confidently say that he does, why would he step away? We don't know. We don't talk to Tom Brady all that much, sometimes, but not all that much. But all the indications are the roster is around him, the infrastructure is around him, and the football ability is 
still there. Like, the guy's not exactly whimpering out the door. Even in this game, when it looked like he kind of was for a bit, found a way to make it one of the more memorable football games of my lifetime. All right, let's move to the other NFC game, Niners-Packers, where we obviously saw another all-time quarterback exit. Do you want to start there with another playoff letdown for the Packers? Do you want to give a little bit of love to the Niners here as a six seed making an NFC championship run? I'll let you dictate where we start, Logan, because I'm that kind of guy, and I care about you. <laughs> it means a lot, homie. I appreciate it. Um, nice. We'll start with the Packers, and I think the big elephant in the room is, I think Aaron Rodgers is done. Um, it's a really... It's a really sad but fitting kind of end here in Green Bay, you know? Every year, they are consistently really good in the regular season and consistently arguably the best team in football. And yet, as you point out and I pointed out before the season or uh, before the postseason, not a whole lot of convincing wins. You know, it's a lot of non-turnover games for the Mm -hmm. offense, just playing squeaking by football when they should be blowing guys out. And this is unique because it's not like typical playoff losses. This is all circumstantial because of the weather. You know, if this is a nice weather game, I think this is completely different. I think that the Packers roll. But that's playoff football, man. It played into the hands of the Niners in their formulaic style of football. Um, I do think Rodgers is done. I think the Packers needed to win a Super Bowl to keep him around. And I think this just kind of seals it. There's been a lot of rumors on where Rodgers will go. Um, I've heard uh, Denver, you know, Pittsburgh, uh, New Orleans, because, you know, Jameis Winston's a free agent too. Like, there's a lot of intriguing spots across the league. And it's also just kind of fitting, man, that... (laughs) How weird, dude. Packers have the worst special teams unit in the NFL during the regular season. Uh, didn't they have a what was it a blocked a blocked field goal too in this game? Not only just the correct. Uh, you have the blocked field goal. You have the blocked punt that ends up shooting them in the foot. It's just typical. Just this stuff just seems to happen in Packers playoff games, and I can't explain it. Just weird, weird shit like this. And I don't know. Rodgers also could retire, man. I'm not going to give any credit to the Niners. I'm going to give the I'm wow. going to. I'm going to give the Niners credit for having a really good offensive line and for being able to run the football. Let me rephrase that. I'll give them credit for that, and I'll give them credit for having an immaculate defense. F you, Jimmy. This is not a good game. That's your father's name. <laughs> you could have been saying that to your father. I could Jimmy G. Okay. You Eastern Illinois alum. You Panther. Jimmy G is... You Panther. <laughs> Jimmy G is mid... Yeah. Jimmy G is painfully mid, and somehow he is going to potentially eke another Super Bowl out of this. Do you think Rodgers is done? Am I off base? I think he's done in Green Bay, to say the least, and he may be done with football, period. Again, I cannot get inside the mind, certainly, of Aaron Rodgers. I can't get inside the mind of anybody, but definitely not that guy. He's a bit of an odd duck. Listen, it seems like he should be out of Green Bay at this point, right? I mean, that is the reasonable takeaway I think when before the year he didn't want to play football for them and then he went out and had his second consecutive MVP season and again they fall short due to circumstances 
largely out of his control. Obviously, he did not play a perfect football game here. And when you put 10 points on the board, no matter what, regardless of the conditions, you leave yourself vulnerable. However, I think you can pretty much say that the Packers left six points on the board here because Mercedes Lewis fumbles on the opposing 40. That drive was going to result in points. And you have the blocked 39-yard field goal. That was points. But also... Didn't finish a drive inside the 10, had to settle for a field goal there. And again, after your opening drive touchdown, don't have another one all game and had that really egregious throw on third to Devontae Adams, who was double covered when Lazard, I believe it was, was wide open right over the middle of the field for what would have been a significant gain. Like there were things that Rodgers did not do well enough in this game, but at the end of the day, the Packers were obviously in position to win this football game. Their defense held the opponent to six actual points, and they should have won, but they didn't. And I think that he'll look at his situation and just given the misfortune, given the fact that he's wanted to move on, and the fact that he had one 600-yard receiver this year, like I don't know how you could not look at a situation like Denver and see the depth of weapons and the defensive talent there, and also just... There comes a point where you're done in a certain spot, man. And when you, the last couple years, have seemingly wanted out and you get dragged back in and you feel like you play almost perfect football for an entire year and then you're not able to get it done, there's just a breaking point. It's not necessarily that there is 100% a better football situation for Aaron Rodgers on the table. Although I honestly think Denver probably is. It is just that... How have they not reached the breaking point? How is the frustration for these people as human beings and for Aaron Rodgers thinking he's probably the best football player on the planet? And again, back-to-back MVPs. I don't understand how they will be able to run it back yet again. So I do think that he's done in Green Bay. I do not think he's done playing football, though. That would be insane to me. He is still so good and so clearly capable of winning a Super Bowl. I just don't think that is going to be the course of action. This is so laughable to me, too. The Jordan Love pick, still looking back on it. Yeah. One, I think it's a... Like, I guess now, if you're looking at it, oh, you know, we have a contingency plan for the future, but, like, they could have had T. Higgins, Michael Pittman Jr., LaVisca Chenault, Chase Claypool... I'm not saying that any of these guys are game-changing, or, but I think they swing a playoff game. They would so clearly be the second-best wideout on this team to Devontae Adams. You know, like, I don't think Chase Claypool's a number one, but he's a pretty damn good number two who can get vert. Michael Higgins, and I mean, Michael Pittman Jr. and T. Higgins, I'd say the same thing for. LaVisca Chenault is great in space. I just think definitively they'd be the second-best weapons on these teams, and I don't know. You blew a first-round pick yeah. planning for the future when Aaron Rodgers needed a lot of help. Um, I'm just trying to think, dude. I mean, without Rodgers, Green Bay is screwed. We're really going to see if Matt LaFleur can coach some football um, yeah. if he's gone. And I just... I don't know, man. This is... I didn't really expect the Packers to lose this game. Even getting down to it. They shouldn't have lost this game. But alas, they did. And this is what I'll say. It's kind of funny because this was the team that throughout the year won a lot of 
pretty close games against teams that weren't always that great, and I didn't think that their record was indicative of how good they actually were, and you finally get bit by just things not breaking your way at the end of the year. Like, you just look through, man, and they had that wild game against the Bengals in overtime. They had, obviously, the Cardinals game where it felt like everything was trending Arizona's direction. Then you have the last-second pick. You have the Browns game where, like, it takes the four turnovers from Baker, and they still only win that one by two points. There's just a lot of times where it was like the Packers didn't play their best football, but they found a way to win. And then when it came down to it, they did play a better game, but not by a wide enough margin to be totally safe, and they lost. So I didn't think they were the best team in the NFC this year. I certainly didn't think they had the highest ceiling. I didn't pick them to the Super Bowl. We did our contender rankings with a couple weeks left. I think I had them fourth in the league. But they also just got really unlucky, and they very easily could be in the NFC Championship game right now and really should be, in my opinion. So as we look at the Niners here, not a whole lot that they did super well in this game, if we're being honest. Jimmy was 11 for 19, 131 yards, no touchdowns, and a pick. They ran the ball 29 times for 106 yards. And again, they got bailed out by some points being left on the board by the Packers. And uh, they stayed in this game because of special teams play. But what are you taking away for them? Anything beyond what you already said, which is praise them for the offensive line in the run game, which wasn't even great in this game? Not a whole lot. I disagree. The Niners sustained a lot of drives. Looking at the raw numbers, yeah. no, they're not going to support that. They did sustain a lot of drives playing that way. And I know they didn't come away with points. I think that's an indictment on Jimmy Garoppolo more than anything else. Yeah. The Niners have a great playoff formula. You set the play action up. You run it down their throats. You play heavy in the trenches. And you want it more. And you know who wanted it more? That D-line. Eric Armstead and Nick Bosa wreaked havoc in this game late, getting to Rodgers, getting pressure, making big-time plays. And it sucks, man. Football is such a weird game. The fact that snow could really make this big of a difference, and it does. And the Niners are just built and better equipped to deal with snow. And they had a freak play that swung them the game. Um, I think they can knock off the Rams. I said that I thought they could knock off any team. And hell, you know what? I genuinely think that if the Niners got to the Super Bowl, yeah, it's a slight chance. I think they could beat the Chiefs because I think the Niners can beat anybody in football because they just have they have the formula, and I've been saying this all year long. I'm not going to pick it, but I'm not going to be surprised if the Niners win either, and that's what I said before this game, and that's what I'm going to continue saying about the San Francisco 49ers. My mouth is watering for when Trey Lance gets out here, though, because it is over for UMFs. If Trey is anything like what I expect him to be, which is a Herbert Allen Mahomes-type caliber talent, what? it's over for UMFs. That's your expectation for Trey Lance. Those are the three most talented quarterbacks in football right now. And Trey has got the physical intangibles right up there with those guys. The big arm, I, I don't think he can read the game at that level yet. I don't think he has the decision-making prowess or the awareness in the pocket yet to be that caliber player. But if you are looking at quarterbacks across the league with raw intangibles and talent, there's not many guys up there that are like Trey Lance. I don't think this is that hot of a take. It's why the Niners traded up to get him. You give him an offensive guru like Kyle Shanahan, and I think he can do some very special things. Bro. Hey, yo! Okay. How is this not that hard of a take? You just compared him to 
the greatest quarterback talent we've ever seen, a guy who you say is every bit good as that player, and the guy who had the greatest rookie quarterback season of all time and then got way better and is probably a top-five quarterback in football. Yeah. That's a hot take, man. Trey Lance. He's got a cannon arm. He's, he's like Jalen Hurts, in my opinion. That would be my expectation for him. I think he can be a very impressive runner of the football. Much better arm than, than Jalen Hurts. I think that he really has not shown the ability, and we've seen limited stuff, but to actually challenge that arm, channel that arm talent as an accurate and aware thrower of the football. I mean, we watched him play a game, and obviously pocket awareness is something that will develop with more time and more reps, and I feel like I'm generally more of a Trey Lance optimist. I feel like a lot of people have discounted him after a couple games, which I think is really dumb to do for a rookie making the jump from FCS football who didn't even play at all last year. Like, I certainly think it's much too early to make any ultimate deductions about what he can be but has he shown me anything to say that he is going to be on par with the best talents in the sport? Certainly not. Definitely not. I'm not saying he's shown that either, but he That's definite, your bet, though. That's crazy to me. I would take... I am betting on the future of Trey Lance. I am betting on Trey Lance being one of the best quarterbacks in football. I trust the Niners' evaluation of talent a whole hell of a lot more than I trust other people's. And I trust the raw intangibles and their training staff to get him up to speed. Like, dude, Trey could be the fastest quarterback in football next to Lamar Jackson. And no, he's not as fast as either of those guys. What he does have, I think, is a little bit more of the physicality as a runner. He's a little bigger. Yeah, I think he'd be the third fastest QB in football. Arguably, I think, comparable to Hurts. But I think his arm is so much better. Dude, the kid has got a rocket. Yeah, I think think he's really far away look I'm not even saying I don't believe in Trey Lance like I think that Trey Lance I I think he's very talented you just put him in an insane tier though that is my expectation for him and I'm going wow. to be disappointed if he does not reach the top five QBs in football yeah wow I don't know how we didn't establish this sooner in the season that's crazy you got to be one of the biggest Trey Lance fans on the planet you've been right to my left this whole time I didn't know Unbelievable. Wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah, man, I was hiding here. Just wow. in plain sight. Unreal. What I will say is, yeah, Jimmy, not much good. He is fine. He should have messed up this game for them. Like, you're right, the Niners did move the ball at times, and they had a red zone interception thanks to Jimmy, and then they didn't convert on a fourth and one in the red zone. Can they beat anybody on any given day? Yeah, sure. I mean, I like their playoff formula too. What I have said is just... I don't think you can win four consecutive road games against teams that are really strong without super dynamic quarterback play and when your quarterback is susceptible to kill you in any individual game. And I just think especially against offenses, aerial attacks that are as high-powered as the Rams and Lord knows the Chiefs, I just don't think they're doing it. All I will say... The 2005 Pittsburgh Steelers did exactly that. It, there is a level of offensive talent that exists in the NFL right now that did not exist in 2005, and they you are looking down, it right they, in the face. They took down the number one offense in football that year. They did Peyton not take Manning's down Colts. Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I agree there's levels to that, but that was the number one offense for a decade. The Steelers did it, and they have a very similar formula to what the Niners are doing now, and they won four straight they won three straight road games to get to the Super Bowl. All I'm saying is it's possible because the Niners have got that beautiful formula. 
Look at this guy researching the 2005 Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, I'm just saying there's a different level of offensive talent and output today, and the game is less physical, and it is less easy to win on the back of a good run game and defense. And I still think those things are remarkably valuable in the playoffs, but teams that win the Super Bowl that we have seen as of late have done so on the back of exceptional quarterback play on top of being a really good all-around football team. And the Niners are just more lacking in that quarterback component, obviously, than anybody else who was in the playoff field this week and certainly anybody else who will be in the championship game round. So good for them, dude. It's a remarkable season. Again, worth noting, it looked like they were going to miss the playoffs halfway through their game (laughs) in week 18. And here they are in a championship game. And it's a really good football team. I just think there's a ceiling there that concerns me when you're going up against really great offenses. But the Rams are super inconsistent. They could beat the Rams. I just don't think they're beating the Rams and the Chiefs. Hot take. Pipe and hot take. I don't think the Niners are winning the Super Bowl. Niners are 2-0 and versus the Rams this year, right? That's correct. And they are 6-0 and in Kyle Shanahan's tenure, I believe. Wait. Yeah. Undefeated. Never lost. Is that... That's not the right amount of years, though. Is it? Is it more than that? Maybe it's their last six. Because... I don't think they've ever lost, though. No, but Shanahan's first year, they were bad. And then they had another year where they were bad, and then they had the Super Bowl. Because this is his fifth year. So it's got to be the last three years or something. But that's still a crazy stat, especially considering the Niners won six games last year. All right. We'll we'll get the research department on it. Logan, you can do it. Okay. Let's talk about the last game here, Bengals-Titans. Probably the most forgettable game out of all these, but nevertheless decided on a last-second field goal. Joey B and the boys moving on. What are your takeaways? Uh, Carson, you told me that you didn't really feel like this game was fluky, um, you know, in the sense that, like, the better team won. You have been a skeptic of the Titans this entire time. You were going to shit on me uh, for whatever I have to say about the Titans now because I know who you are. I know how you act as a human being. I know who you act when you bring the Tennessee Titans up. No, I'm keeping it a buck. Salty, huh? You are going to shit on me and whatever good I have to say about the Tennessee Titans. Go ahead. The fact of the matter is that I was led astray. I was... I was hoodwinked by Ryan freaking Tannehill. The better team did not win this game. The Titans outgained Cincinnati. The Titans sacked Joe Burrow nine times. Ryan Tannehill just happened to have three interceptions and the Titans went one of eight on third down. Like, like the Titans should not have lost this game. I'm putting it on that bum Ryan Tannehill, and I'm putting it on some really bad decision-making here late. Like, certain scenarios, there was this one with Vrabel. Third and one, they don't give it to Derrick Henry. They, um, what did they do? I think they gave it to Tannehill, incompletion. Then, on fourth and one, when everybody in the freaking building knows you're going Derrick Henry, you hand it off to him on a halfback dive, and the Bengals eat him up. Like, there were just some really heinous bad decisions on third down here from Vrabel and company that I thought, wow, that was just really dumb. Um, And then, it's Ryan Tannehill, man. On that last interception, that last play that gave the game away to Cincy, there's a guy wide open um, 
for a first down. I can't remember who it was on the right side of the field or just off to the right of where he threw that football. Um, I mean, he was in the flat. There was a guy wide open. Ryan Tannehill just makes the wrong decision. Um, I think I think Ryan Tannehill is a loser. I think Ryan Tannehill is a bum. I think Ryan Tannehill is a complete freaking scrub. And I don't think the Tennessee Titans are ever going to win anything with this bum at the helm of this team. And I know some people, uh, actually an excellent article written by Harris Hicks, convinced me that Ryan Tannehill was a good quarterback earlier in the season. He backed it up with a lot of great information. I read it and I came away from it going, you know what, man, I believe in Ryan Tannehill and I'm going to ride this train. Like Future said, I'm off that. (laughs) I am off that, bro. Um, The Titans will never win anything with that fraud at quarterback. Um, and they are a quarterback away from from really competing for a Super Bowl. The Titans have a really great formula. They have the best running back in football, one of the best front forwards in football. They have a really good back end. This defense was elite this season, and the defense did their job. To they, they did their job this weekend. They played just about as good of a game as you can, and it was complete and utter incompetence on the offensive side of the ball. And screw that, man. You know what? My dad made a really good point after the game that I completely agree with. Fuck putting the ball in Ryan Tannehill's hands in that last drive. I am handing the ball off to Derrick Henry. I don't care if we run the clock out. You know what? I'll play for OT. I'm not putting the ball in that bum's hands. Here, go ahead. I'm pissed. I'm pissed. I can see that. Here's what I'll say. This game really was one quarterback making things happen with everything working against him and another quarterback messing things up with pretty much everything working for him. The Titans didn't play a perfect football game here, but they ended up running the ball well as a team. Deontay Foreman had some explosive touches, that 145-yard run. They weren't consistently super efficient on the ground. Derrick Henry didn't have an exceptional game, but they were very consistently committed to running the football. And... A.J. Brown in a monster game, and defensively, I mean, they did what they had to do to put themselves in a position to win. Joe Burrow finishes the day with zero touchdowns, and you have nine sacks, and you're thinking, okay, we've got a pretty good chance in this one. And you really do have to give props to the most improved pass rush in football by far. Last year, the Titans, I believe, were dead last in pressure rate or second to last it was a non-existent unit and this year it was really good and it was ultimately what put them in position to win this game but what I will say is if you were hoodwinked by Ryan Tannehill who had 14 touchdowns the 14 picks with three weeks remaining in the season yeah I don't feel that bad for you I mean he's Ryan Tannehill we know who he is there was major regression this year compared to last season and I think there was reason to believe that Derrick Henry was not going to have the ultimate Derrick Henry game, given that he was playing with a plate in his foot, coming off of a broken foot, and going straight into game action like this. Like, I just don't think the Titans were ever a safe bet, and I talked about that, and I don't think they were all that good. But, I mean, the components were there in this game. Ryan Tannehill is ultimately the reason that they lost. And this is the beauty and heartache of football. It's why I love this sport. Logan's counting something. Three teams that played better this weekend lost. The Titans played a better game than the Bengals and lost. 
the Green Bay Packers played a better game than the 49ers and lost. And I think the Buffalo Bills played a better game than the Kansas City Chiefs and lost. Now I know the Butker missed field goals, you little yeah. Chiefs fan, fanatics. I think all of those three teams played better games and they were on the losing end. And that's the, that's the beauty of football. I would push back a bit. I think that certainly the Packers outplayed the Niners. Like, that's a true freak outcome. I don't think the Bills outplayed the Chiefs. I think that they played pretty much equivalent games, and the Chiefs, honestly, if I had to give the edge to one team, I would give it to them overall. In this game, it's like, yeah, obviously what the Titans' pass rush did was insane, but... It's not like you can just write off three interceptions and say, oh, the Titans played a better game. Like, they were down double digits, dude. It was kind of a miracle that they got back into this because they got the takeaway themselves, and then they had a very short field, and then they had kind of a miraculous touchdown. Like, they were considerably... Or no, actually, that's not correct. But the total yardage was almost identical. Like... Did they play a better game? I guess maybe, but if you're making a double-digit comeback and it's not like these are freak turnovers, this is Ryan Tannehill being Ryan Tannehill, I don't know. I will say, I mean, two balls were tipped, but like, what, I just what think, I'll say to that is that they were bad decisions from Ryan Tannehill from the jump. And what I'll say is, I just don't think you can write off quarterback play as being a part of the game. Like, if you're saying one team played a better game, again... Niners, Packers is freakish stuff happening. But if you want to say the Titans had a a more complete football team, I think that's different than them playing a better game because quarterback play is a massive part of what comprises a good football game. Every other position group that you point to played a better game except for QB. not receivers. QB turns out to be the most important position in the game. I don't think they got better receiver play. The Bengals were balling as usual. Hey, uh, they didn't what? get better tight end play. You know who wouldn't have done that, guys? I'll stick with this. You know, I'll run this take back. The Titans have Big Ben. They win this game. Okay. I'll take Big Ben over Ryan Tannehill still to this day, bro. I don't think Ben is making the only throw that actually kept the Titans in this game, which was the touchdown to A.J. Brown. Carson. What? The Steelers did not throw deep this season. Because we didn't have time. The Titans' offensive line is 1,000 times better than the Pittsburgh Steelers' offensive line. That was a beautifully placed ball. These are not factors. Please go back and watch some deep balls that Ben had this season. To Claypool, to DJ. That man can still dot MFs up. How are we talking about Ben Roethlisberger right now? How did we get here? Because I've argued with a bunch of people that Big Ben was a better quarterback than Ryan Tannehill. Thank you for proving me right, Ryan. You're a bum. Wow. Very angry. You're a bum. Well, the good news is <laughs> I get to keep my middle name and I get to keep watching football. So you know what? Big dubs, baby. Anti-Titans guy all year. Ended up being on the winning side of that one. Logan picked them to go to the Super Bowl. They didn't go to the Super Bowl. And you can say what you want, but they were not beating the Kansas City Chiefs, even if they did find a way out of this game, which again, they trailed in double digits by. So it's not like they just absolutely squandered what was a gimme opportunity. Any final thoughts, Logan? I have earned this dunce cap. Well, we've all been there. All right. On that note, 
that's going to do it for us here today. One day removed from the Bills' loss. I am not the same man I was before, and I probably never will be again. But at least we were able to do a podcast. Last night, we did a bonus podcast reviewing Noah Centineo movies, and I was much more depressed for that one. But I thought that was kind of funny. So you can check that out on Apple and Spotify if you want. You can also find our normal sports content. Wow. Logan just showed me a fun fact. The Chiefs and Bills last three games have a combined score of 100 Chiefs, 98 Bills. Painful. Very close. Amazing rivalry, I will say, because they've played four times in the last two seasons. That's pretty fun. As I was saying, though, you can find us in a number of places. YouTube is where we do a lot of video essay, video breakdown content. I just made a video on Anthony Simons, how he's carrying the Trailblazers yesterday. Go ahead, check that out. You can listen to the pod on Spotify, Apple, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. You can join us live on Twitter and Twitch, where we are streaming now instead of YouTube, trying that out. So go ahead, tune into all those channels. Follow us on social media. Twitter and Twitch are both at nerd underscore sesh. Instagram and TikTok are both at nerd sesh. And with that, as always, I have been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.